Let me tell you a little bit of uh, what we're doing here tonight and, and why we're doing it. Um, first of all, I want to tell you that we believe in the preaching of the scriptures as a primary means of God reaching our hearts. So what we're doing tonight isn't any way minimizing that. And I want to emphasize that. First uh, Corinthians chapter 1, uh, many other passages talk about actually talks about the foolishness of preaching, but how God uses that um, to touch our hearts in ways, you know, beyond anything else. So we really do believe in that. Um, But uh, one of the things that's also beneficial, especially in special meetings like this, is uh, the opportunities that you have casually to interact with somebody like Dr. Tillotson and just sit down and talk to him and ask questions and sort of get some advice and counsel about different things. Um, In a ministry as large as Harvest, uh, Dr. Tillotson's here for about a week, and we know that not everybody's going to get that opportunity. So what we thought tonight, on this Tuesday night, he's going to be preaching all the other sessions, but we thought tonight what we do is sort of sit down and have a conversation with him. And so I want you to imagine tonight that uh, you're sitting here where I am. I'm going to try to maybe ask some of the questions that you might. And we're sitting over at the hub, and we've got a cup of coffee in front of us, except those of us that don't drink coffee. Do you drink coffee, by the way? Except for Jim and I, who have water up here. Sorry about that. But you have a cup of coffee, and, and uh, you have this opportunity just to talk about things and talk about spiritual things with somebody who's um, walked the, uh, some paths of life, who's pastored and cared for others. And so that's what we're going to do tonight, all right? We'll try it. If you guys say, don't ever try that again, Pastor Gary, I'll say, okay. Um, but um, I, I think it might be helpful for you. I've been praying that God would use this in just a little bit different format where the truth is going to be presented um, tonight. So that's what we're going to do. I'm going to add one other piece to this. Um, I've come prepared and I've actually uh, prepared uh, Pastor Jim with a, a few of the questions that I'm going to ask, but we also want to give you an opportunity if you have something that comes up in the course of this evening that you say, I, I really wish I could ask this question. And so I think up on the screen is my cell phone. All right. Hang on, because i got some rules about this in a minute. Don't call after 11. <laughs> if you're sitting there and we're talking about something and, and you say, boy, I'd really like to hear what Dr. Tillinson has to say about this question, go ahead and text it there. Uh, first rule is my family cannot text me, right, with sarcastic questions. Okay, so that's rule number one. Um, and nobody else can either, all right? So they have to be, and no, uh, you know, funny pictures or anything like that. But if you do have a question uh, for uh, Pastor Jim and you'd like to ask it, you can send that to me and we'll, um, and we'll talk about those. All right, so Jim, we're going to begin with this. Um, you've been on uh, Guam for about four days now. So just tell us a little bit about what you love about our island in the last four days. Uh, I love the people, I would say, and mostly I've just hung around the people. Um, so uh, I love your pastor, and so we got to spend an afternoon together. Uh, I think the funniest sign I saw was Lent Seafood Special. 
And uh, you don't see that sign on a non-Catholic island very often, so I had to take a picture and post that. But uh, I love the people. I was with the college students today. Uh, just I got to hear them sing in their uh, language a song, and uh, I just have really enjoyed the people very much. It's been wonderful. Um, tell us a little bit about your story, um, where you and Jim, or you, where you and Joan are from, uh, how you got connected, how you met each other. Tell us a little bit about that. Okay, so I, uh, uh, I came from northern Minnesota. My wife came from Wisconsin, and uh, we met at the same uh, college that uh, Marty Heron uh, taught at before he came here, and that's also where both Gary and I went. And uh, so as we, uh, my wife's a few years older than me, so she was on a singing team that went to very small churches. I'm not a good singer. Uh, she played the piano, and so I said, well, I can go to a very small church. And uh, she, because she was older, she hung out with her friends. I hung out with my friends. And our college had a thing called the Sadie Hawkins, where, it's, uh, where the girls ask the guy. And she thought, well, I'll ask Jim because he's a lot of fun. He's like a younger brother. And uh, we just hit it off that night and had a great time. We're both super competitive. Uh, we're both type A. And uh, so uh, we had to win every game that came up that night. And so uh, really through that, built a great friendship. And we dated for three years, and then we got married. So been married now for how long and you have how many children by the way there's a picture up behind you of your family oh yeah so uh this is my son and his wife they got married a year and a half ago they're in the middle uh on the the daughter next to me is Anne. she's getting married next summer she stayed in canada when we moved down and then our youngest daughter is by my wife and uh, she is a sophomore in college so it's a great picture of our family it is a great picture yeah uh, and you said how long ago this picture was a year ago so it's about a year and a half ago. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about um, your ministry. You came out of Bible college, and uh, you were part of a ministry in the Chicago area suburbs or city, and then moved up to Canada. So just tell us a little bit of an overview of your ministry, uh, pastoral ministry. Okay, so when I, I got saved at Northland, so I grew up in what I call the dark side of fundamentalism. So I grew up in a church that said if guys had short hair and women wear skirts, they were spiritual. I just wish I had hair now, uh, but, um, but no one ever taught us to have our devotions, how to pray. I mean, really the basic disciplines, and I learned those things when I went to Northland, and uh, we had a preacher who came in and preached on repentance. I grew up believing the Bible was true. I grew up believing there was a God, but I'd never repented, and I remember I was dating someone who was not my wife now, and we had a wrong dating relationship. And I heard a message on repentance, and, I, and I, he said, Godly sorrow worketh repentance not to be repented of. The sorrow of the world worketh death. And he used an illustration. He said there was a guy who had a, uh, a little yippy dog that hated cats. And he said his dad had a pet tiger. And his dad called the son and said, hey, would you watch this tiger for me? He said, sure, dad, bring him over. And he said, we brought the tiger over, got him in, met, got him all set up. And he said, dad took off. He said, I walked in the house, and that little dog smelled a cat. And he said, that dog went racing out to the, the fence. Yip, 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 yip. And he said, he got right up to that lion, and the lion looked and went, roar! And he said, that little dog whipped right around and ran right back to the house. And he said, that's repentance. And, and, uh, and that clicked for me. And I knew that night that if I were to die, I'd go to hell. But I also knew that if I was going to go to heaven, I'd have to end that dating relationship. And I said that night, I'm not doing that. And for three days, I'd wake up in the morning, are you going to go to hell for her? And I said, yep. And I'd go to bed at night, are you going to go to hell for her? Yep. And finally on the third day, I just said, God, there's nothing worth going to hell for. And so then I, I gave my life to Christ. Because of the church I grew up in, I, I had told my wife I'd never be a pastor. 
She grew up in a bad Baptist church, so she was never going to marry a pastor. So we had that figured out. And uh, I tested in the law school. I uh, scored high enough to get a scholarship. And uh, I really thought that's what God wanted me to do. And then, the, the, honestly, the week before I was to go to law school, already accepted, enrolled, everything ready to go. Uh, God just broke my heart, and I just thought, if I can do anything for the rest of my life, I want to take as many people to heaven as I can. Kind of the burden I had last night. And I called my wife. We're dating. I thought that would be the end of our relationship because she had already said, I'm not marrying a pastor. And I joke around that I had her hooked at that point, but she just said, I'll, I'll do it. And um, so God took us to a little tiny church of uh, 30 people in DeForest, uh, Wisconsin, suburb of Madison. We drove down there our senior year. So it was a four-hour drive one way, and we do that every weekend. And when we graduated college, they, they said they wanted to hire us for $25 a week. And, uh, but we were so happy that someone wanted us. We said, yes, that'd be great. And so, so we went down there, and I, I got a job doing asbestos abatement. My wife has a business degree, and she started working for a pizza chain. And we were both making crazy money. In fact, we were making so much money that they could tell by our tithe that we made the most money in anyone in the church. So after six months, they came to us and said, would we work for free? And instead of $100 a month, and we said, sure, we'll work for free. I mean, what's $100? That wasn't a big deal. Um, but through that process, God burdened our heart that if we, we felt called to Canada. Uh, while I was in Bible college, I felt that God wanted me to go to Canada. My, my reasoning on there was I felt at that time, if you wanted to know the truth, you could hear it anywhere in the United States. But I didn't feel called to learn another language. So I was like, where do they speak English? Which is England, Australia, and Canada. And I grew up an hour from the Canadian border, and so the weather didn't bother me. And uh, so it, it bothered my wife quite a bit, but it didn't bother me. And uh, so uh, when I surrendered, I just thought that's where God wants us to go. And so that was our goal. Uh, our whole goal all the way along was ultimately to go to Canada. So then God took us to Bolingbrook, which is a suburb of Chicago. And I was a full-time assistant pastor there and had a great time. And after four years, the pastor came to me and said, would you stay and just take over for me when I retire? I said, well, I think God wants me to go to Canada. And so uh, I called all these people I'd never met before. I said, I'm Jim Tilts. I'm looking for God's will. And every night I stayed with a different missionary. And it was like getting ordained every single night. Like every single night, what do you believe about this? What do you believe about that? And my last stop was Edmonton. And I'm a Minnesota Vikings fan like your pastor. And uh, we had a very wealthy church in Chicago. And I was working on my master's. And there's a guy in our church who had a timeshare in Banff which is right in the mountains. And he said, hey, I can't use this timeshare. Why don't you use it? I said, well, that'd be great. I need to work on some sermons anyway. And, and uh, so I went there, and this pastor who called me, I was driving a BMW, but it was an old BMW. And so, in fact, the starter went out of my BMW, so I had to park on a hill so I could pop the clutch to get it started. It was that bad. So he calls me, and here I am, a young kid, staying in this ritzy place in the mountains, and I'm driving a BMW, and he's like, this kid's not coming. And it was a church of 10 people. And he said, would you just come and talk to me? And I said, sure, I'm just up here looking for God's will. So I, I meet him at the door, and I didn't know that he wanted me to come take his church. And we meet at the door, and we sit down, and the very first thing he says is, Jim, I have severe asthma, I have severe arthritis. I've had three major eye surgeries in the last three years. I haven't driven a car in three years, and I want you to take my church. And I was just like, wow, that is not what I expected. He said, let's go for lunch. And he took me to McDonald's. I'm coming from a white-collar, wealthy church in Chicago. That'd be insulting in Chicago to take, I mean, you know, with the play place and the slide coming down, that's where we sat for our power lunch. And he did the same thing everyone else did. What do you believe about this? What do you believe about that? 
And uh, long story short, God called us to that church. And uh, so Joan and I moved up there. We started as missionaries. Uh, so we raised, we went up way under-supported. And uh, our plan was, because at that time in Alberta, no one was self-supported. We were going to just work and then get a job. But we had to be supported to get into the country. And within three years, that church supported us. And uh, then we just continued to grow and saw God do some really cool things up in Canada. What are some of the big lessons that you feel like you learned in those early years prior to uh, getting up to Meadowlands? What was God trying to teach you? What do you look back and say, boy, there's some big things that we learned during those years that we needed to learn, you know, for future? Um, you know, <laughs> sometimes I always say, and I, Gary and I have talked about, or Pastor Gary, sorry, but Pastor Gary and I have talked about this, that I always think I'm learning, so I always, that's a hard question to say, what have I learned? Does that make sense? I think I'm still on the journey of learning, but um, I mean, I think early on, God taught me the, the importance of a good marriage, uh, having a prayer life, as I, as I already shared. God taught me that lesson. Um, there's so much more I could tell you about prayer, but that, that night changed my life. Um, even for us to go to Canada shouldn't have happened, except we prayed, and God made it happen. I mean, Everything that I've seen has been in response to prayer. It's prayer works, and God changed my life in those early years uh, on that area of prayer, and that was a, a great thing that God did for us. Um, I think also working together as a team, you know, when you first get married, it's, it's learning to value each other and, and pray together and work through things together. Um, and then those spiritual disciplines, you know, not ever getting too busy. I did early on. I was too busy. My devotions were not where they should have been. And God had to teach me that, you know what, you can't do this without me. You can for a while. Like, you can serve the Lord and it can look good. But if you're not regularly reading God's word every day, um, over time it will always catch you. And when I early was early in ministry, I was doing a lot of things for the Lord, but I didn't have those spiritual disciplines where they needed to be. And God taught me some good lessons there as well. you got a lot of young people, you know, in the uh, congregation, in the audience this morning, or this evening, that are between, you know, 20 to 30, sort of the ages that we're talking about right now. Um, so, you know, the conversation about the things that uh, God taught you, I think, is important. Um, I didn't prep him on this, so I'm not mean to put you on the spot, but uh, anything that you look back that were particular struggles during that time that um, God, was, God had to use or maybe break out of your life during those seasons? Um. Well, devotions, for sure, being, fit, being consistent. Um, and I think same in my marriage. You know, I mean, I think being sensitive to what was God doing there. Um, I mean, and again, those are probably as different as people are. What, what are the different issues? But um, because I got saved at 19, I was just all in from the beginning. You know, I mean, I... I, I when God saved me at 19, when I got it, when I really repented, I was just like, by the way, if you get to know me, I'm an all-in kind of guy anyway. Uh, if I played you in a game and you beat me 19 times, I'm convinced if I play you one more time, I can beat you. And so uh, that's just how I'm wired. So, I mean, I was always all-in. I was very passionate about ministry. Uh, I loved ministry. Um, I loved my family. But the things God had to teach me uh, in those early years were dependence on him. And, and being a good husband. And I would say, again, those are things that God has to keep teaching me. Uh, but early on, I had a lot to learn in those areas. And I'm thankful that God uh, put me in those spots that broke you. You know, it's, 
It's great. It's great when you can't do it. And when God puts you in a spot that you can't do it, that's when you come to understand it's vain to get up early and stay up late unless the Lord builds the house. They labor in vain that build it. You've talked a couple different times during these days about the significance of uh, of both prayer and devotions, both in your personal life, but you've talked about that in reference to your marriage as well. Um, outside of those two things, which I know you've said are, are very foundational, prayer and devotional life in your marriage, uh, what are some of the other things that you felt were very key to a, to a healthy marriage for you and Joan? And, and even as you've had, you know, counseled with a lot of couples, young couples, older couples, what are some of the other things that you see that are either struggles or just keys in maintaining a healthy relationship in your marriage? Um, For me, it was learning time. Uh, You know, someone said love equals time, and that's very true. And uh, if you, I tend to be a workaholic, so making sure I have time in my marriage. Uh, I would say being romantic. Um, You know, it got to the point where we would go out three times a year, her birthday, uh, our anniversary, and Valentine's Day, and that's not enough. You know, and uh, I remember we'd been married five years, and my wife wrote a lot put a love letter that I'd written her on my desk and I read that love letter and I'm like, man, that is really good. <laughs> no wonder she married me. And, and she looked at me and said, I haven't had a letter like that in, a, in about a year. And she was right. And boy, that was painful. And you're just like, man, you got to keep romance in your marriage. I mean, uh, romance is to a woman what respect is to a man. And uh, men want to be respected, ladies. And I say another thing that I didn't know how to communicate that because I was too tough. So if my wife hurt me, I never let her know that it hurt me until God did a work in our marriage. And, then, and it wasn't that she wasn't willing to work on it. She was just like, I had no idea if you'd have just told me. And, you know, here I am toughing it out. But, uh, guys, romance is so important. Time is really, really critical. Um, and you've got to spend time with your wife. And I would say have fun. I mean, sometimes you're so busy when kids are small. Uh, we never had good babies. <laughs> uh, our babies cried all the time. And I don't know about you, but I just prayed, God, let me live. You know, just, <laughs> I mean, I'd be working all day and my kids are crying all night. And I mean, it was just like, how do I survive that time? And you, you go through that time when all the kids are small and kids can overwhelm your marriage. And uh, we never went away, just the two of us, until we'd been married 10 years. Uh, I highly recommend, if you can, and again, you need to have family around. But if you can have someone that can watch your kids, it's a great thing to get alone with your wife and just go away for a couple days. Um, but I would just say that romance is important. Time is important. I would, I would say, too, and this would be the pastoral side of me, if you went home and your kitchen sink is leaking, it, you know, if your wife calls and says, hey, honey, we got a problem. The, the house is flooding. Most men are not going to say, don't worry about it, honey. Just open the front door, let the water run out. Uh, I've always wanted a water feature out the front. Most men are going to say, in fact, this happened. I was traveling, and we had a pipe burst, and my wife called, and I just have a rule. If my wife calls, I always take the call. Thankfully, I did, and she's like, the pipe burst. And I always take care of that stuff in our house, so she did not know where the main water line was coming into our house. And you know the great marriage-building exercise as I tried to explain that to her? You know, it's like, it's behind the furnace. No, it's not. Yes, it is, honey. No, it's not. Water's pouring into our house. Finally, she found it. We got the water shut off. I mean, we understood, hey, we got to get this done right away. Do you know how many times couples are having marriage trouble and they go years without fixing it? And I would challenge you tonight, your marriage is far more important than a plumbing problem. 
And I don't think this is right, but I do think it's true. I've had wives come in and say, I told my husband five years ago to come see you. He refused, and I'm done. I'm not saying that's right. I am saying it happens. And I would just challenge you. That's why God gives you a pastor and a pastoral staff. These guys have spent time studying the word. They're here to help you. And yet so many people, are they think it'd be the worst thing. And, and the other thing is that people think if you tell the pastor, he's going to think bad of you. That's not true. I mean, if you go and see your physical doctor, he's going to examine you too. We see him in the grocery store. Everything's fine. You know, that's the same way talking to your pastor. And I would just say, if your marriage is really struggling, and I, by the way, the number one question I asked couples when they came in for marriage counseling is, how's your devotions? What do, what do you think I almost always heard? Most couples who are having marriage trouble are not having devotions. I hear a comment like this, two out of seven, three out of seven. If your marriage is struggling and you don't want to see the pastor, let me challenge you, do this first. Have your devotions on a marriage topic and don't miss any service. And if in two months that hasn't fixed it, you need to go see the pastor. And you need to go and say, hey, I need some help. And you know how quickly God can fix things in a marriage? I've seen God put so many marriages back together. I've seen God put marriages back together where someone was unfaithful, where you think that's impossible. Uh, we have guns in our house, and my wife had said, Jim, you ever cheat on me, you won't have to worry about anything else. You'll be in heaven. <laughs> and, uh, but, but we started counseling couples, and we saw God put those marriages back together. My wife said, right before we left, she said, you know what? I really think God, I have to change my mind. It's amazing what God can do. You know, the Bible says what you uncover God will cover. And what you try and cover, God has a great way of uncovering. And the Bible says, if you confess and forsake, you will have mercy. And I would just challenge you, your marriage is, it's a picture of Christ in the church. Your marriage is, by the way, I think every couple that's married in this room understands, I, I could have everyone in my church think I'm the greatest guy in the world, and if my wife doesn't think that, it's kind of gross. I don't feel good about that. Why? Because Joan doesn't love me. But when Joan loves me, everyone in the world could think I'm an idiot. And I'm like, I don't care. My wife loves me. And every couple in this room knows that's true. And that's why Satan hates marriages. Satan hates marriages. And I, I don't know about you, and Pastor Gary could comment on this as well. If there's an area that I get attacked at, even to this day, it's my marriage. Satan is always on my marriage. And so Joan and I just have to fight for it. So we're going to fight for time. I'm going to fight. I have to make notes to be romantic. And you say, well, that's not very romantic. <laughs> I don't tell her, all right? So I do that privately. But, and hopefully she's not listening right now. But, um, and you know, it's not because I don't love her and not because I don't think that way. But it's easy for me to get caught up in things. And I got to say, hey, when's the last time I wrote her a love letter? When's the last time? And I, you know, when I counsel people, I say a wife needs three compliments a day on her character, on her cooking, if she cooks, uh, and on her countenance, how she looks. And, you know, when's the last time, guys, you just told her what you loved about her? And I, and I would just say, and again, I, I can deal with the guy's problems more because I am a guy, but uh, ladies, re- respect is important to a man. Uh, ladies, when's the last time you told your husband what you appreciated? And ladies, if you're always complaining and you're never thankful, that's going to really mess up your marriage. And then obviously one of the last things I would say is you got to forgive. A great marriage, no, 
The fact that you live together all the time, no one will hurt you more than your spouse. And if you're going to carry every little grudge, it's going to ruin your marriage. Someone said a great marriage is a marriage of two forgivers. And you're going to have to forgive each other. And if you really forgive, it's not an issue anymore. Remember when I talked about the wound and the scar? And when you really forgive, you can both remember it. And you know what's funny over the years? We've been married 29 years. We can think back of crazy fights we had, and then we say, but what caused that fight? We can't remember. I don't even remember what caused that fight, but I remember what an, how I reacted that was sinful and wrong. And so uh, be a good forgiver. Be quick to ask for forgiveness. When you do something wrong, be quick to go in and say, hey, I was wrong. I'm sorry. Will you please forgive me? And then I would uh, just add to all of that, have fun. Um, laugh together. Joke around together. Uh, having fun together makes everything a lot better. I really believe, you know the reason I believe God, and again, Pastor Gary can comment on this, why did God say he wants us to stay married? If God couldn't fix a marriage, would he want us to, does, is the idea we just have to grind it out? And I think a lot of Christian marriages feel that way. We're just going to stay together because God says. Instead of thinking through, why does God say that? Because God says he can fix every marriage. There's not one marriage problem if you let God work in your life. And I do say this, it takes two to have a good marriage. Both the husband and the wife have to work on it. But if you both work on it, that's why God says stay married. Because God says there's no problem I can't fix. If both the husband and wife will work on it and work on being it, but it will take work. It doesn't happen naturally. And I have a whole list on how a guy's supposed to love his wife. 50 questions to ask your wife is really good. And, you know, biblically, God says, love your wife as Christ loves the church. So that's you love her first, most, uh, with, in spite of her faults. I mean, you just go through that list. And if you love her like that, and if she uh, respects you and submits, it's a great, great thing. So marriage is awesome. Our marriage has gotten a ton better. Uh, after, I don't know if I said this. <laughs> speaking of Larry, did I say this already? But uh, I, I remember five years in our marriage, I said, we have a great marriage, don't we, honey? And my wife looked at me and said, nope. And uh, that surprised me. I, I honestly didn't know she felt that way. And I, I thought we had a good marriage, but she didn't. And that's often the case. Often the wife comes in and says, I don't feel loved. And the husband says, well, I love her. Well, so that doesn't help. So now I have to figure out what do I need to do so that when she's asked, does Jim love you, that she says yes. And that's every woman's different. And so I have to learn my woman. Boy, <laughs> praise God, we don't have to understand women in general. That would be nutty, all right? So uh, I don't have to understand all the women out there. I just have to understand one. But God wouldn't command it if I couldn't do it. And so God says, dwell with your wife according to knowledge, giving honor to her, that your prayer life be not hindered. So if God commands me to understand one, I can do that. It's just going to take an effort. We could probably spend uh, the rest of our time talking on this topic. Thanks for sharing your heart on that. I believe that that's spirit-led, and, and uh, I'm sure touching a lot of people here tonight. Um, switching gears a little bit, I've got a couple of uh, questions that came in. Um, and maybe we just do this briefly, because uh, this one would probably take a lot more time. But um, the question was, how do you respond to those who ask, why do bad things happen to good people? That is a great question. The first thing you want to be careful of is don't be Job's three friends. 
you often can't explain that. God doesn't tell us why bad things happen to good people, but he does tell us that's true. I mean, it happened to Job, right? Job's a righteous man, and all those bad things happened to him. And God never explained himself. God didn't explain himself. And the reason God was, in fact, God was so mad at Job's three friends. You get to chapter 42, and God says, Job, if you don't pray for those three guys, I'll kill them. Had I been Job, I'd have told him that was an option on the table. Uh, Guess what I just heard? (laughs) But I, I think we all get into trouble when we try and explain a God who tells us, your ways are not my ways and your thoughts are not my thoughts. But why, why do bad things happen to good people? Ultimately, is because we live in a sin-cursed world. And if you go back before the fall, God said it is good. And the minute that the curse entered our world, then bad things happen to good people. Good people get cancer. Good people get diabetes. Good people have a drunk driver drive through an intersection and kill their child. Why is that? Because we live in a sin-cursed world. And so... The foundational reason of why bad things happen to good people is we live in a sin-cursed world. Uh, but, as, but when you try and explain specifically why this happened, I would recommend you never do that uh, because we can't. We're not God. Um, and even that was the question Job asked. Why is this happening? And God didn't explain himself either. So be very cautious when someone... It's a common question, especially if you have an unsaved coworker, something bad's happened to them, and they want to ask you, tell me why this happened. Don't take the bait. Just say, I, I can't answer that because I'm not God. I can tell you, though, God does love you and God does care. He cares about the situation, but I cannot tell you why this bad thing happened to a good person. We've got actually a number of other questions. I Maybe I should have got these earlier. I'm not, we're not going to get to all of them, but let me just give you one more here um, from the text. Um, because I think this would help to, to clarify something that uh, there was a question about. You mentioned Sunday uh, in your sermon, Living by Faith versus uh, Failing in Frustration, that we don't need an explanation, we need a revelation. So the question was, what does or would a revelation look like, and how can I tell the difference between an explanation and a revelation? Mm. That's a good question. A very good question. It's a very good question. When I say revelation, I mean a high view of God. So what comes into your life that makes you think God is awesome? And that's what happened for Job. As, as God said, how come no two snowflakes are the same? How does the world hang in space? But for Job, that was like, wow, God is awesome. So when I say revelation, I don't mean God speaking to me. I mean I'm getting a high view of God. And the more you have a high view of God, and what God wanted Job to understand is I'm so far above you, I'm so awesome. I'm so incredible. As Job got that high view of God, he was like, because I know God is good. Remember all those questions we started with, is God good all the time? Yes, does God love me all the time? But if I don't have a high view of God, that doesn't help me. But when I get to the point of saying God is unbelievable, he's all wise, he's all knowing. Uh, I mean, he's so far above me. When I can get that view of God, then I can trust him. And I say, because he's all-wise, because he's all-powerful, I don't have to have it all figured out. I'm going to trust him. So that's what I meant by having a revelation. And an explanation is where I say, if God doesn't tell me why this happened, I'm not going to do it. And, and God tells you, you must live by faith. And God says, I'm not going to explain myself. I would put it this way. 
if you saw a kid running out into the street and you yelled for him to stop and he said, Father, I need an explanation why. Boom. (laughs) You know why most kids will stop? Because they trust dad. They They didn't see the car coming. But when you yelled stop because of the relationship, because you're my dad and you tell me to stop, but you know what a lot of us do? God says stop, and we say, well, I need an explanation, and we get hit by the cars, figuratively speaking. And if you have a high view of God, then you just trust him. And when God says don't do it, you say, I may not understand why, but I know my God. And because I know my God, I can't, I can't do this. And that's what Job got. As he went through those 64 questions, it reminded Job of how incredible God was. And that's the, when I say he had a revelation, he had a high view of God. That's a great question. Boy, I've got a bunch of other really good questions um, that we're just not going to get to. But um, I'll tell you this. Jim will stay here tonight as long as he needs to afterwards. Um, I, and I will. I have nothing else to do. <laughs> so really, there's some great questions. I'd encourage you to come up and, and uh, ask him about these. I, I do want to give you a chance to talk about one other sort of topic um, before we're done here tonight. Um, you're working, uh, Dr. Tillotson, with a, with a lot of college kids. Um, what are you most excited about this current generation of Christian young people, and, and what are your biggest concerns? Um, I would say the, the current generation has a lot of passion. Um, they, they are very passionate about what they feel God wants them to do. Um, I think they have a lot of energy. Um, I think that you're seeing a lot of young people. In fact, if you understand the difference between millennials and Gen Z, which Gen Z is, is the freshman class going into college right now, is the, this would be the, the next generation. Millennials were a lot more loosey-goosey. Gen Z is a lot more, more careful. And, um, but the problem with Gen Z is, on the negative side, is they're afraid to commit. So... Back in the day, people would go to the mission field for a lifetime. Gen Z will say, well, I'll go for one term. And I don't want it. They're afraid of commitment. Uh, in fact, that's why a lot of Gen Zers aren't getting their driver's licenses early. Because, uh, hey, that's, you know, that's, a, that's a pressure. That's a commitment. Um, but I would say that there's a lot of positives about this generation. I actually, you know, a lot of people are down on this generation. I'm the opposite. I think this is a great generation. I think they're going to do some amazing things for the cause of Christ. And, um, and I'm excited when I get around them. So, I mean, I think this generation is going to bring a lot to the table. And uh, I think uh, probably outside of commitment, the biggest challenge is this generation grew up with a smartphone since they were three years old. And so a lot of them struggle with pornography. And I would say that's a big problem in many churches because the parents had no clue how to put a filter on. And, in fact, I would say, though, a lot of adults are struggling with pornography, too. I think it's a silent cancer in our churches. Um, and I would just say, but because a lot of, at our school, at Faith, I can only talk about it, we talk about moral purity, and tons of our students are getting right with God. They're having a victory. Um, they want to live for God. I really, I, I, the ones that I'm working with that are saved, they really have a heart for God, and they, they, they know they're struggling, but, but they want to work on it. But it's a big problem because parents didn't know how to put a filter. They had no idea how to protect their kids. And, um, and these kids, by the way, in Gen Z, they've never had to talk to an adult. 
ever since they were a kid, they could Google anything they wanted to Google. So this generation, they've never had to really interact with adults. And so, but overall, I think Gen Z is exciting because they are willing, uh, because they are passionate, and they are more conservative than the millennials. We've got about five minutes here. Um, would you like... Um, uh, this might lead towards that anyway, but um, can you tell us a little bit more about uh, what God's doing at uh, Faith? You told us about the flood, so we're, I think, up to speed on that. But just in general, what God's doing among this student body um, over the last few years, what do you, what do you see God doing? Um, well, we grew 18% two years ago. All Christian schools have been declining in the mainland U.S. And uh, if you're following it, in 2015, three schools closed our school. Uh, Northland closed, Clearwater closed, and Tennessee Temple all closed within two months in 2015. Uh, there are more schools that will be closing. There's a lot of schools that are in trouble. Uh, those of you from the Midwest and Nebraska, Grace and Omaha closed last year. Um, so, I mean, there's a lot of schools that are in trouble. So it is, and so then people say, well, that's bad, except then we're seeing our school grow. And I think what you're seeing is there's 10,000 kids going to Christian co- uh, camps in the summertime. 10,000. There's enough kids out there to see these Christian colleges grow. And uh, so we're seeing that. We're seeing kids get right with God. Um, Our campus, we've really developed a discipleship mindset. We do a thing called Refresh. It's a thing for pastors and their wives and spirit Christian leaders. And I told our college students, I said, I need help, but I know you're all busy. You all got stuff to do. I only want you to help if you want to help. And I walked in there, and we had 110 college students show up. That's, and my secretary walked in with me. She said, so we don't need this much help. I said, well, we do now. And we made up a job for every one of them. And the college girls came to me and said, could we write a letter to all the ministry wives that come? And I said, sure. So every ministry wife that came to Refresh got a handwritten letter by one of our college girls, their idea. They, they staffed a nursery so that uh, these pastors' wives, and some of these are in small churches where they say, I am the nursery. I never get to sit with my husband. And at the end of that week, the students came and thanked me and said, thanks for letting us serve. So I got up in chapel and I said, hey, I want to just thank all our girls for doing this. And our guys came up and said, well, could we write a letter to the pastors? I said, sure. So they wrote a letter to the pastors. And for whatever reason, this one college guy put $5 in this letter to a pastor. And this pastor wrote me back and he said, I feel like taking water from when David's men went in and got water from the well how can I accept a Bible college student's five bucks? He said, like, you know, he said, I can't do that. And he, he sent a check for $55, and we deposited in that student's account. But it's those kinds of students uh, that are still out there that really are passionate about making a difference. Um, just this, this year, uh, one of our guys, uh, our students are seeing people come to Christ while they're college students. They gave a testimony about that, and so other students came and said, how do you do that? How, you know, how are you witnessing to people? So he came to me and he said, could I start an evangelism class just for whoever wants to come and do it? And we'll meet every other week and I'll bring in some guest speakers. So that's a fantastic idea. So he just did it last week for the first time and he had 45 guys show up. Not girl, 45 guys. We only have 100 guys in that dorm and 45 of them showed up to this class and not because they had to. I mean, I would say this and you know, I know the herons are coming and maybe you're mad at me for that, but they will add to the discipleship that we're doing at faith, but we're already seeing 
these students are passionate about making a difference for the cause of Christ on their own, not because we're making it or making it happen. And most people, when they come on our campus, would say it's revival-like, and I would agree with that. Uh, We have kids, every year that I've started, we have people get saved, and you have to have a testimony to come to our school. But every year we have kids get saved. We've had a ton of kids get right with God this year. Uh, We're only six weeks in. Um, Whether you agree with this or not, I tell our students, if if you confess, I said you can confess anything the first two weeks of school, we will not kick you out. I said, you can tell me you're on crack cocaine the first two weeks of school. Now, that has not happened, all right? Don't go spread a rumor. But I just say, you can tell us you're on crack cocaine. We will not kick you out. But I said, after two weeks, if we catch you, that's a very different story. And I'm telling you, our students flooded to student life and got right, and, which is a wonderful thing. And I've had some people rip on me for that and say, oh, you must have a, you know, all these kids are getting right. And I say, no, that's actually what's good about our school. Too many kids are hiding it in college, and they're hurting ministries, and they're hurting their marriage down the road. The best time to get right with God is while you're in college. That's the, and, I, and I say, well, you can rip on me for that, but actually that's what's good about faith. It's awesome that these kids are getting right. Student Life said that when I came as the president, I tripled their workload, but they all said it's been wonderful. And, I, and it's, the, it's honestly that kind of spirit. If you ever get to visit the Herons, you'll have to come visit the school and everyone who's walked on our campus just said it's, it's just a different feel. Uh, people look you in the eye. They're friendly. But you can do chapel speakers. We've had unbelievable. Um, do you know Rob Clark in China? Has he ever been here? I don't know if you know Rob Clark. Some of you do. But anyway, Rob Clark came and lit it up in chapel. And the week before, and when a speaker lights it up, you can hear a pin drop. You, that's how you can tell that they're connecting. I mean, it is, it is eerily quiet. And it's been that way for two weeks straight. Do you know how crazy that is? Rob Clark has visited other schools. He said to me, I, I got in on his third day, and he said, Jim, I am hoarse from talking to college students. And we have college students that are going to go to China this next summer just because he came. It's just that spirit on our campus. So it, I just tell people I can't explain it really unless you come and visit. But it's an amazing revival-like spirit at Faith Baptist Bible College right now. And that's what's so fun is to see these kids get it. They're challenging each other. And uh, I hope that we send them out here for your camps in the summer. I hope we get teachers out here from faith. Um, but God's doing a really exciting work on our campus. It's been fun to see. It's, it's a work of God. I mean, it's not me. Um, but it's a discipleship culture that we've built. And Pastor Heron will be a, an addition to that. Uh, we'll just fan the flames of that. It'll make it better. So... I do know that this was a hard decision for him. I mean, I could tell you the background story on our end, but I mean, this was a two-year process, and it was not an easy decision. And, and really, he just felt that at this stage of his life, this ministry needed someone younger, and he felt that at this stage of his life, he felt he had maybe 10 years left, and he wanted to pour it into people going to ministry. And that's the only reason he came to faith. So... I have no idea what he's told you on this side, but uh, it was not an easy decision for him to make. And, I, and again, I know I'm a guest speaker. It's just so crazy that I know this pastor so well. You guys are in for a great ride. It's, it's crazy that you get two incredible pastors back-to-back. That is very, very unusual. And uh, Pastor Gary is going to be different. He's going to have his own gifts and abilities, but he is an outstanding, 
outstanding pastor. The church he was at before grew like crazy because he's, and he'll never say any of this, and he's going to shoot me for saying what I've said, but he is a humble man. His wife is great, and these, you guys are going to be blessed. Very unusual to have two great pastors back to back. So, anyway. Well, we're thrilled um, for the partnership, the growing partnership of Harvest with uh, Faith Baptist Bible College. And Dr. Tilton, we're um, thrilled for how God's using you there. I'm really grateful for the Harvest family to be able to be introduced um, during this week um, to, to you and your ministry. Maybe one of the things that we can commit to doing uh, even this evening is praying. Um, even as we have the opportunity as a church to be a part of uh, uh, HBBC, and, and we know the significance of young people. Guys, HBBC guys that sang tonight, man, you were such a blessing. Amen. Thank you for that. So, so we know the value of that, and, uh, and I think as a church family, if we can continue to pray for schools like Faith, but pray specifically for Dr. Tillotson and that ministry there.